Maguire, Wallace to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bursts through the defence. Good evening and welcome to Molecast number four, which is actually the fifth one because the first one was zero. Good evening. Good evening. Finish chewing your bicky. <laughs> um, we're going to look back. <laughs> we're going to look back at um, uh, Ireland beating Scotland and the heroic performance of Man Mountain, James Ryan. And let's see who which one of us owes him an apology. <laughs> I may have given the impression that James Ryan should be dropped at the tender age of 21 for not being Alan Jones, and I wholeheartedly apologise to everyone who I may have offended. <laughs> if you were offended, <laughs> <laughs> then I apologise. <laughs> I also owe, while we're apologising, I owe Jacques Brunel an apology, as I have frequently intimated that he is not a good coach, whereas he has uh, France playing quite well. I wouldn't mind uh, talking about France, actually, because while it wasn't uh, a classic by any means, it wasn't a classic Le Crunch, I thought that France showed some really good signs that they're coming back to life. Um, Machinot's performance was yet another excellent performance from him, as was Camaraz. He was he was really first-rate. Terlane at number eight was very good. And... I think one of the, uh, I think the key player on the pitch though was Matthew Bastereau, um, who, who was sort of um, teetering on disgrace only a, a matter of weeks ago, and now looks like a, a really big figure and a big leader in that French team. Yeah, it's kind of remarkable. Um, we were when we were discussing before the show, we were saying, oh, he wasn't even in the team to start. And then we sort of remembered, oh yeah, he was he was banned for like using a slur during a game and getting caught doing it. Um, it was also remarked to me while I was watching the French game that um, I think he's captain of Toulon now, and um, he really looks like a leader in the French team, which is uh, it seems like somewhat surprising considering he's had somewhat erratic behaviour, but before. I think an awful lot of it comes down to just how effective he is, how difficult he is to play against. Um, Certainly when Toulon were in their three-in-a-row pump, he and Stefan Armitage were the two best uh, breakdown players in Europe. And he also brought a phenomenal gain-line threat. And while people criticise his passing, and it isn't great, he does have a very, very strong offloading game. He's big hands and he wins you know, 95% the contacts he's involved in. Um, and he is... He's obviously an extremely competitive type of fella. He's not anybody's idea of a classic French centre. You know, the uh, physical uh, difference between him himself and Gael Fiku is very, very obvious. Fiku is everyone's idea of a classic French centre. Um, and, you know, they 
they could be a good team together. But the French partnership, well, I would certainly like to see, and I think a lot of other people would like to see next season will be Bastereau and Fofana, which which will, I think will be an almost classic case of uh, complementary uh, opposites. I think it gives you two guys who won't or can't pass, which is which is unlike a French midfield. But I but I see. I see the attraction. Uh, I think Bastro's a survivor. Um, mm-hmm. He's had a lot of ups and downs in a you know pretty storied career at this stage. Maybe not the the first. Maybe not. I don't know the the, the adjective that best qualifies it. Um, I think one of the things that like I'm, we sort of cover this with England later on. Um, He's he's Brunel is he's picked a pretty consistent team. Like I, I picked uh I, I picked France to lose twelve points to twenty four against England because we we uh we I made the predictions as well. We yeah. made the predictions before the teams were picked. And then once he picked Tranduk, I backed him to win with the seven point start in the handicap. I really rate Tranduk. Uh I think he's the best at half in France by I think he's the most appropriate to play in an international. And I think if you just pick him if you pair him with a, a place kick and scrum half, and most French scrum halves can't place kick Amashino is the best of them at the moment. Uh, you've got a, a really complimentary halfback pairing, um, which is which is so pivotal. Um, you know, I think I think Tolane has done really well. Pickemol's. I mean, if, pick, if, you, if you bring Pickemol back into that team, you bring a fit Louis Pickemol back into that team, and it's kind of onerous playing in, in the top fourteen, particularly for Montpellier, who you know are a very. I suppose they're all look. They're all very physical teams. Mm-hmm. Um, but that gives him a really good eight, nine, ten. But I agree with you. Like Tolane is good, and then Kevin Gordon as well is missing for most of this this tournament since the. I don't think he got back though. With uh, unless you move him over with Camera. So, no, uh, but uh, I'm Camera, just Camera is definitely in that. Like oh, Camera, Camera, Camera could captain France. I yeah, really impressed with. I think he, sort of the his his willingness to pull people back um, from just getting involved in. The, the likes of Amina. Yeah. <laughs> people. Yeah. People say. People say. Uh, people who I disagree with say. <laughs> people like Vamahina. Um so they're going in the right direction. I think they're definitely going in the right direction. Much more so than I expected them. I think uh Guillaume Garado has been inspirational as a captain, uh, not just this season, but um while he's been inspirational in other seasons, nobody's followed that lead. I think that Slimani has been a very, very good tight head for a long time. Uh, Valmina is now delivering on his enormous stature and his athleticism. Uh, Gabriel is a classic throwback, obelix type, enormous second row. Um, Camara is, is really super impressive. He's like, you got the best parts of Wedrago and the Yanga together. Um, and then, like you, I'm a fan of Tranduk. I'm also a fan of Camilo Lopez, who's missing, but I think Tranduk is a more. I think there's something about him, like sometimes in, in NFL, um, it's, there's certain quarterbacks who are more coming out of college, they're more suitable for the NFL than guys who might have been more suitable for for big games in college. And I think Trandoke is an in, a suitable international out half compared to Camille Lopez. Camille Lopez might be a little bit more uh, exciting for Claremont than Trandoke is for Toulon, but I think at international level, Trandoke provides it with an awful lot. Uh, I'm still, apart from Teddy Thomas, I, I think it's it's difficult to point out a really exceptional talent in the French back three at the moment. I know Remy Grasso had a good game, 
Um, but where would you stand on that? Who do you think? Who, who do you think would be in your Huge? ideal? Huge. Um, and I always liked Bryce Dulam. He's kind of seems to have fallen out of favour a bit. Um, I suppose Teddy Thomas, the you know French uh, Jacob Stockdale, yeah, um, faster and flakier. Um, so, but I mean, he, he scores a huge amount of tries, and you know maybe there, maybe there's an argument you put Fiku on on not Fiku, Fofana on the wing, okay, and maybe if. Um, I haven't watched enough. I'd I'd want a distributing centre. Yeah. And get a fan on the pitch, but get him on, on the pitch in the wing. Okay. And get him involved a lot. Play uh, Huje, pretty a fullback, and play Teddy Toma on the other wing, and then play Bastro in the centre with whoever it is that gives you the bit of distribution. Okay, okay. Maybe Penno. Yeah, Penno's that's a good idea. Do you know who I thought was really... And he's, 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 he's an out-half rather, but um, Entomac played for the 20s. Oh, he's, played out-half. Yeah. And look to have all the time of the world. And Didier Retier is someone who plays for um, La Rochelle, I think. He's he's good. These these sons of of these sons of legends are good. In uh, does uh, Sebastian Villars have a son? <laughs> <laughs> I thought uh, what was more curious was uh, the performance of the French at the breakdown, uh, in particular with reference to how they compared to England. And how Eddie Jones said about how the game is changing and we won't be ready until the World Cup. And then there was an article or a, a post in the fashion of the Rookmarks uh, article that uh, we pioneered um, by a guy called Rags who looked at um, the Rookmarks for England's performance against France. And he was particularly critical of Courtney Laws basically just not being a back row. But I thought England England turned over possession so many times when they built up a bit of pressure, albeit running into France a lot. Well, I thought that France... I thought France competed against us very yeah, heavily as well. Yeah, they competed really well against us. Um, uh, and they were ferocious. And as, as we said after the first game, that, that was, it's, I think it's the fittest French side I've, I've ever seen. Um, it, so it didn't surprise me to see them going hard at that, uh, going hard at that, that breakdown because, you know, Pickmore's one weakness is really his breakdown work. So if you have a guy like Taylor who's not a huge number eight, he's, he's a big man, but... And when you put him against Pickamoles, he looks like himself and Kevin Gordon are not. They're not enormous, but they're both really good all rounders. Um, and Wenceslas Lorry. And Wenceslas Lorry. So an out and out open side. Yeah, the the French kind of have a well with those those three guys, the Lorry, Tolania, Gordon. There's the the kind of no name guys. They're, yeah, they're not. Yeah, they are no name. They're not super athletic. They're not a huge ball carrier. So camera, you can see the athleticism, the line-out ability, uh, pick them all. You, you see the power and the ball-carrying ability. Uh, the other three guys, you wouldn't say that, but they, they, uh, the odious phrase, the unseen work, they, you can combine them and get a lot of balance. Mm. And I think uh, Brunel is working towards getting a, a good balance on that French team. I think they could do better at, um, at loose heads. I'm I'm not a hundred percent sold on Jefferson Poirot, despite his great name. Uh, I don't know if Gomez adds enough when he comes on, um, but I'm I was, you know, I think I think that they're, I think that all of a sudden France are becoming um, quite a threat again, and I'm really looking forward to see how they do in uh, the Millennium Stadium against Wales. 
it's a, it's an in, like it, we talked about the, the Irish match being pivotal for Wales and the French. You wouldn't call the French match pivotal, but if Wales lose to France, having already lost two matches and lose at home, I think the, the sort of the Welsh perception of themselves and the way they play has to be revisited because Gatlin really gives the impression that there's a right way to play rugby and Wales play it and Wales. Wales do have super skills and are really potent with the ball in hand but they've already lost twice um, and Ireland are before the last match before the last round of the games have even been played like Ireland are so far out in front uh, double more than double the nearest no, no, not quite more than double but like crowned as champions mm. with uh, what you'd say would be a much more limited game plan but something we've talked about is that there's more than one way to play and Ireland's way of playing is really, really effective. So, to, so our, Wales, France, which looks like a, a, a dead rubber, insofar as the Six Nations ever really has them. Like, both teams know they can't win, but it doesn't matter. It's not going to spoil French people's or Welsh people's enjoyment of, of watching it. Mm-hmm. And it could be a really good game. But it's it's an interesting benchmark for, for both teams. Be, and I think France kind of have a free pass at it. I think they do as well, because they're away. They've been... They lost. They lost their first game, um, but you know we sort of robbed them. Like we didn't rob them, rob them because we were the better team for most of the match. But we did come back at the end and absolutely shank them into showers, <laughs> you know. So, um, but since then, I thought that they got on the wrong side of the referee against Scotland. They did you know a decent win against Italy, and then they had a good win against against England. So. They're clearly on on the up, um, and it'd be very interesting to see how well they can do away from Paris, you know, in in what will be, you know, a, a loud and closed uh, Principality Stadium. So, just to reflect on England's performance um, and what kind of bearing it has on what we're looking at next week, but but mainly focusing on them first, um. As I mentioned before, they sort of looked underpowered. They didn't compete again as hard in the back in the back row at the breakdown, which you would have thought they would have reacted to after the Scottish game, where the Scottish targeted them there. Um, what did you make of their overall performance? It was it's it was their worst game under Eddie Jones. It was much worse than their performance against Scotland. I didn't think it was just their uh, failings at the breakdown, uh, which were worrying for an English fan. It was their lack of penetration and also their lack of um, there seems to be a lack of organisation and it seemed to get worse as the game went on now there was a lot of criticism of them before about not being able to make on pitch decisions when the Italians played the the Fox against them um, in Twickenham last season Um, and while this wasn't as obvious there were certainly signs that they don't react well to things which happen on the pitch which other teams do to them you know again we talked last podcast about them being very good front runners and this time when it's put up to them again there's sort of more cracks there than you would expect to see he didn't he didn't address the balance of his team um so that, that that's certainly my team of the of the evening. Laws, as as you mentioned, Laws isn't a blindside. Um, 
But they played Lords and Atoje and Launchbury in the team a lot last year and, and they got away with it. Um, they look a bit stale. They um, do look stale. We, we talked about Ben Youngs. They miss Ben Youngs. They miss the variation, even if they had Danny Carr to start and bring on Ben Youngs. They missed that. Um, he went for Tio, head of Joseph. Tio, obviously, you know, can good tackler, good at offloading, lousy passer. Uh, you know, that, that came through. Was, Bastro's a bad matchup for Tio. He's not going to dominate him physically. He's not going to give away that much. But, um, you know, particularly, particularly sort of Bastro is, is the bit between his teeth and at home and he... Bastro reacted very well to the circumstance that he was put in. Um, he's beaten England every time he's played them at home. Bastro. Oh, right. I didn't realise that. Right. Bentio. Uh, apparently doesn't particularly give a shit about who he's playing. If you remember his comments before the Scotland game as well. So. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I, I don't think, you know, Tio got out, psyched out by Marinth. And I just think that, you know, from what Tio brings, I'm sort of... At a, England need more freshness, or they need the, the like we covered a lot of this. I, I feel last week it was strange that we well neither the two of us didn't pick um, France to beat England because we what we talked about sort of came out to to pass again that they're not a well balanced side that there's a bit of staleness there. Eddie Jones has overused the stick, in my opinion, uh, in comparison to the cajoling with the carrot. He's very critical of players, but players around the squad, players who haven't made it in before, um, critical of ex-players, critical of journalists. And I, I can imagine that that wears on you after a while. Yeah, I think that... It's not us against them, it's us against... Us against everyone against us. Yeah, the, the, what really strikes me, England look, don't look confident. And I think a lot of that comes from Jones. It, it kind of comes with like how critical he is. There was an interview that they did before the Six Nations when a number of players said, like, oh, you have to work really hard under Eddie Jones. He's always watching. Like He's very conscious of your mistakes. And it's... So people talk about Joe Schmidt and the video sessions. but But I think... That seems to be quite confined. So once you get into the video session, Monday morning, however long it goes on for, everything is there to be analysed and discussed and parsed, and you know that Schmidt's going to be really hard taskmaster. But I don't think you're expecting to get a text from him at half-time, you know, like complaining that you missed a tackle or something like that. Whereas that was sort of the impression that I got with Eddie Jones. So I think that's one aspect of it. I think the other aspect is that he's, he's kept the team so consistently that it's almost as though he doesn't trust some of some of the other players, some of the fringe players, the most obvious guy again, like we talked about it, Don Armand. Um, I think his his sort of, a, and I thought Declan Kidney was a bit like this that anybody who didn't win the Grand Slam with him was a downgrade. So even when Sean O'Brien was playing out of his skin at, at the beginning of his you know his international career, two thousand and ten, two thousand and eleven, he had to wait for a series of injuries to get picked, and as soon as he yeah. got picked, it was like he was he was one of our if not our best player. And it was really obvious. 
And but, Rossi as well, Mike Ross. Yeah, Mike Ross as well. Like, you know, he's picking Tony Buckley, he's picking Tom Court, he's picking like a superannuated John Hayes before he finally relents and goes, Oh, right, we'll have to pick Mike Ross. As soon as Mike Ross gets paid, he's our most he's our most valuable player. And he like pretty much plays the next fifty tests in a row. And that sort of stuff, whether the coach realizes he's sort of implicitly critical of his players or not, it just seems I think Eddie there's a bit of that with Eddie Jones. Um like Dan Cole. Like Dan Cole's always getting picked, and he's been the best tight head in England for a long time. But he, and I'm not like I don't know who else he can pick. I don't know if Harry Williams is like ready to take over from. And it's disingenuous to blame Cole for this in particular, but just just to mix it up and to bring in players who like have a bit of energy um, and a bit of snap about them, and or else like bring in somebody who's really steady and reliable and will calm everybody down um, I, meant to, I meant to find the passage in the book beforehand but Richie McCaw talks about Brad Thorne coming into the All Blacks and it was a stage when the All Blacks were doubting themselves and they were wondering what they should do and Brad Thorne was just like yeah but we're good like we're really good we're, and there was another guy another it was a similar second row but he, he gave a lot of confidence to the All Blacks just by just by his own belief so those personalities, I don't know. He, Jones doesn't seem to have found them. The narrative that we'll project into next week is that it's a mirror of last uh, year's game where we definitely had in mind spoiling the party, uh, and we did. My gut feeling says that the English don't think about Ireland like that, and they'll be thinking about themselves a lot more. Kind of, uh, possibly wallowing a bit. Um how do you feel they will react to the Ireland game? I mean, their their record at Twickenham obviously is unbelievable. Yeah, good. it's England at Twickenham is England at Twickenham is just a tough game. No matter no matter what English side you're playing, I think it's venue rather than opposition for England is is the more important thing. So yeah, so the the fact that they're at home will be m- more they'll be more buoyed by that when by then the fact that they're playing the champions. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, but then again, you know, I was, um, I was thinking of it today, like, happily, very happily, Ireland have something to win and nothing to lose going into this. You, can, you know, you can't lose a Grand Slam. You only ever win a Grand Slam. Uh, and we've already won the championship, which is the tournament that we're in, the trophy we're competing for. So while you might argue that the game being, to some extent, um a dead rubber in that the championship is already decided. But it also frees us up to just go absolutely balls out and attack, attack, attack if we want to. You know, go for everything. And, and different personalities react in different ways. So Johnny Sexton was quoted after the match talking about, you know, the, the importance of grabbing the opportunity. And if that's your mindset, you probably look at it and it's pretty, it's pretty a bit more glass half empty. Um Whereas I thought Keane Healy in the lineup for the for the uh, the anthems couldn't wait to get in the pitch was mm. was loving his uh, his revival um, and the fact that he you know he pretty questioned his sporting mortality over the last few seasons and didn't think it would come back and he's had, he's had a renaissance he's had a I would say especially with Luke Fitzgerald's retirement he would have done that. Yeah, of course, yeah, and a very similar neck yeah. injury similar. and very, very similar Same vintage, vintage of player. Yeah. yeah, born within a month or so of each other. 
Um, so I think I'd Bessie like, looked really nervous, didn't he? Bessie looked really, really nervous. I'd like for them to have uh, Jamie Heaslip involved in some way, maybe giving out caps. And that, that's up to Heaslip. If Heaslip wants, Heaslip might feel that he's still too close or he's, uh, um, you know, he's it's it, it's the lads party now and he's gone. So I'm sure Schmidt and Heaslip would talk about that. But certainly if I was Joe Schmidt, I'd like to have Jamie Heaslip yeah, around. Me too. Uh, I, think, I think he's got a very good attitude. I think... Uh, he understands the the environment that the guys are in. He was, you know, a pivotal member of two thousand. Well, he's, he's in two thousand and nine. We were talking. It wasn't just Jamie. Heaslip was pivotal. Like the team hardly changed, and he was yeah. actually one of the guys that was left out um, for the Scotland match. So they were all pivotal members. They were they were all heroes. <laughs> um, he's a winner, though. You know, he's <clears throat> he's he's won an awful lot of medals and an awful lot of trophies, and he has that. Now, one thing that came out, um, I thought Donald O'Callaghan's article was really good in, in the Times of London, when he talked about how confident he was in himself. And that occasionally, when people didn't know him, especially people coming into the squad for the first time, or people who were in the squad when he came in for the first time, thought like, Jesus, your man's a bit, man's a bit loud about himself. But then he was able to back it up all the time. And that's, that's a really, I think that was one of the things that came across um, strongest me was that Aesop was really positive about things and then backed it up, backed up that positive belief by action. So I think that's that's how I think it'd be a great idea to approach this match. This is there to be won. Let's go and win it. Yeah. Aside from the psychological element, uh, tactically, how would you say we would approach it to beat this English team? I mean, obviously, we there's, there's certain teams that we have, as in meat grinder, control possession, meat grinder. Like really, uh, like detailed rocking, um, power plays, and like, but how do you do that against England? Uh, how, how we we came close in what was it twenty fourteen, um, we got nowhere near in twenty sixteen. Um, how how would you approach it? I keep doing the same thing that we've been doing. I really think we'll win. Uh, which, considering. I, I don't think there is a huge amount of pressure on us, uh, which on all as that seems like we're still playing England and Twickenham. I, I wonder who'll be favourites. Uh, I think I think the free shot is great. So if I look at where England have been exploited, I definitely go with them wide. I'd um, when we were chasing the game a few years back when O'Driscoll was playing the year we lost on Twickenham by a score where Launchbury got the hand tap on mm. was it Carney or Tommy Bow or Dean Roberts yeah was it Zeebs I can't remember it was it was one of our outside three he did really well to get back we went when we had to chase the game we, we got the ball wide very well uh, I think England can be exploited there I think if you give yourself a big blind side you can go back down the blind and exploit them there um, I would uh, I used the diagonal kicks that Scotland used against them. Um, find George Elliot, Ford. Find George Ford. <laughs> find yeah. George I Ford. Think, uh, Elliot Daly seems he's, he's he's walking around in a moon. Yeah, he's I think potentially he's, out. Yeah, yeah, he'll probably be gone. But I'd say you just throw Jack Nolan there. He should be starting anyway. Um, and yeah, yeah, that that's what I do. But I like I'd have no qualms about our scrum. Um, I'd have. No real, I don't really plans about our set piece. I think our pack or ever a match absolutely for for what they bring. Uh, I think we've got better halfbacks. Um, 
very low penalty count and yeah, we just we, we do all those things really well a lot of the time so England's obviously a very capable team I still think that access of Ford and Farrell gives them an opportunity to to bring a lot of guys in if they get confidence but I think they I look think, they I look a little win. I wouldn't say disarray is too strong a phrase but they they're not uh, hitting their straps in the same way they did uh, last season and, and well, both the season before and last season yeah last two seasons like they're their performance, their backline performance against France at the weekend was disorganised. You know, there were guys missing, just missing cues by, you know, a metre, you know, a metre, especially too far ahead of the ball. You know, they had a different back three. Like Mike Brown has been used an awful lot by Eddie Jones and he wasn't there this time. And he wasn't there for good reason. That He played pretty poorly against Scotland. Um, but Anthony Watson didn't really dominate from fullback. Um, Should be playing in the wing and played yeah. eight at fullback. Mary Kins had a very good article a couple of weeks ago about Carney, Halfpenny and Mike Brown and why a lot of fans want to see a different player at fullback than the player that the coaches select there. Um, and communication, defensive solidity and command are big things at international level for a fullback. And I didn't really see any of those things from uh, Anthony Watson which is a waste of Watson who's the best winger on the Lions tour yeah he's, and he is a flyer and he's not a brainless flyer not like a certain Jamie Jamie and so uh, well they're going to be missing Nathan Hughes uh, and they're obviously missing uh, Vuna, Billy Vunapola at, at number 8 uh, who is next in the firing line of that position Simmons 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 which is interesting because Simmons is not a typical English number 8 like he's so atypical that I can't even think of somebody to compare him to if it was like the English number 8s that I grew up with were Dean Richards firstly Tim Robber who was probably even maybe bigger than Dean Richards um Delalio who was a, an outstanding one of the best number eights of the professional era and an absolute great of the game. Um, Kazi, Nick Easter. Kazi, you know, who's a very big man, a really gifted footballer. Um, the great hands in that. And then Billy, who is, is superb. So they're all they're all huge. Simmons is like uh, Chris Sheesby. Sheesby, that's a good call. Is, yeah. is the kind of the Cambridge Blue from 1989. Yeah, We're going off on a tangent here. Um, no, well, getting back to Simmons. Yeah, Simmons is Simmons is small for an international number eight. Never mind an English number eight. He's really quick. He's he's like he's like a thick, bulky centre playing. He's really quick, but I think it's it's interesting to compare him to. Uh, our prop in the number eight jersey, CJ Sander, the king of the meat grinders. <laughs> CJ, as we were just talking about it earlier, there was a quote. He's the he's the highest carrier. He's the highest carry total of um, of of any player in the Six Nations. He has seventy two carries and one defender beaten. So as my colleague said, there seventy one players run into. <laughs> he got the ball in the Irish twenty two, and he just set off running diagonally looking for a Scottish guy to smash into he had absolutely no interest in doing anything else and we, talk, we talked about it in the first week he's he's so brave he's so willing um and for the sort of rugby that joe schmidt plays 
But it doesn't really matter about Joe Schmidt. He's the same for Munster. He like, is the you same for Munster. You couldn't help but love play with CJ Stander because he'll always bring the fight. Yeah, he, he will is always. So always. You see, like I mean, you see CJ walking into the dressing room. You just know you're going to be getting in behind him because yeah. he'll, he'll just be the first up looking for it, he'll, and he'll never back down. And it was interesting. A lot to be said. It, there is a huge amount to be said. But he's a test match animal. Like Bastro. That was a phrase I meant to mention before. Bastro is a test match animal. So is CJ Stander. Now, it doesn't mean he's he, like a, a flawless player or anything like that. But it means he's got the competitive spirit that you need to not just thrive, but to, you know, to excel uh, at a test match level. and the, the toughest level of test matches. Um, because it was interesting when Jordy Murphy came on. Jordan Murphy actually, you know, sidestepped occasionally and, and took the ball at, you know, slightly different angles and from a, a better pace than CJ. And he wasn't the only one because Jack did it and found gaps that Keane Healy wasn't able to find. And Ian Henderson did it and found gaps that James Ryan couldn't quite find. So the charge of the sub-grade was really, really impressive for us against the Scots. And I think it's going to be impressive for us against the English. And I, I would. I don't see Ian Henderson getting into the to the starting lineup. I think he'd pick the same thirteen and the same the same starting eight, the same uh, subs five. I think he'd use them pretty much the same. I, I was really impressed. I have to say, it, uh, selection is pretty much the only thing where I'd really criticise Schmidt, and I thought his his willingness to not pick Ian Henderson. I didn't expect Ian Henderson to get left out, but uh, he picked two guys in form. Um, he brought in Jordy ahead of Jack Conan and just made a call to to get this guy in. And that goes back to sort of say what Eddie Jones isn't getting. Like, and then Jordy repaid him by playing really, really well. Mm. So you want those guys. And Hendo, Hendo, not that he didn't repay him, but he put his hand up for a selection. Like he got the sort of the opposite end. He didn't get the call like Jordy got the call in terms of getting the nod ahead of someone. He was kept behind some more. But when he came on, he made the same sort of impact that Jordy made. And then we talked about the 23, and I certainly thought he'd pick Fergus McFadden because, you know, he's Ferg and he loves him, and I wasn't sure if Larmer's feet. But he, he picked Larmer, and he, he had the choice of who he wanted to pick. And I thought, God, this is... Uh, didn't know where he was coming from with that, really. No, uh, other Larmer, than yeah. just getting Larmer onto the pitch and getting experience and getting ready for more matches. And I was... I wanted Larmer to just push people out of the way in the last five minutes and just get on the ball, like go in a first receiver and just run at the Scots. Because in their 22, you'd fancy him to beat anybody one-on-one. But I think... Could so, you give it to Nugget as well? And you got to give it to... Well, Nuggie, Nuggie wasn't letting them. Yeah, Nuggie was pushing people <laughs> out of the way. Um, but I think, see, that's experience. So it, it's... There can be a tendency to just look at the stats and go, oh, you know, these guys are really experienced. Ergo, they're good. But it's not. So we... we like I, I talked about James Ryan and I talked about his tackle count in the Welsh match and he was he was the highest in the Irish match this time. And I think one of my interpretations is that Ryan would have looked at his own performance and thought, well, I don't, I don't like one of the hallmarks of my play and certainly at 20s is that I'm always involved. I don't want to play another match where I just make two tackles. Like I want to be. Involved. I, think he, I think he probably just heard you on the podcast. And by possibly, I mean, there's a lot of time at camp. Uh, <laughs> and too meta. <laughs> <laughs> and I, 
I think that would really stand. Like, I don't think you'll see James Ryan ever make two tackles in an international where he's on for 80 minutes again in his entire career because he'll have learned how to sort of prep himself for internationals and, and like get himself up to the pace of it more and more and more. And I, I think with Porter and himself and Stockdale and Larmer, they've been uh, very, they've been great selections by Schmidt. It's been a, such a successful campaign uh on on the with the criterion of of bringing in young players and taking out the squad it's been incredibly before this dan levy had played something like 16 minutes or 11 minutes of six nations rugby when he was the 24th man came on against england last year exactly. because he slipped got injured so yeah. many started yeah and that was his only six nations experience before uh now he's played you know He's played three and a half games for for Ireland at open side. It's been, you know, and it's a very obviously uh, good, if not excellent, open side in this tournament, um, which is, you know, and he's our putatively our third choice open side behind Sean O'Brien and, and Josh van der Fleer. Um, so that's been. He's been a big find. It's interesting that so Sean. I was gonna. I was gonna mention Sean O'Brien's name. If you didn't, um, I picked Levy as my seven before the Lions squad was picked. I picked Levy as my starting seven in the Test matches. Um, I remember there was a derisory comment on on one of our on one of our tweets or, or something. Yeah, like that. and it was it was the archetypal bolter selection. It was it was the one to sort of differentiate you in the sweepstakes when everybody's picking the same player. But I, I thought Levy was I thought Levy was the sort of guy who would revel in in the higher play because really good basics. Uh and he's he's combative. And, yeah, he's, and he's, he's, a, he's a very he had a great confident player. And as it was season. his his club mate, Sean O'Brien, got picked and started all the three tests. But I think one of the things that sort of is is overlooked, but not by me, I can't let it go, is that Sean O'Brien wasn't picked uh, for the Scarlet semi-final. He was picked on the bench. Uh, and I think they went with Van der Fleer and uh, Ruddock as the two flankers. And it was it was a... Uh, so Sean O'Brien just dropped out with an ankle injury and then went training with the Lions four days later. And it was one of those... It, People noticed it. Some people thought it was the right thing to do because, you know, why jeopardise your Lions place? I didn't like it. And it's... there was Then there was a lot of newspaper talk when O'Brien was starting against the Scarlets. So would he come back into the mix for Twickenham? But Schmidt has shown, particularly with the, the match over in Chicago when he left O'Brien and O'Mani in Ireland, that just coming back and playing one week and having a big name isn't isn't enough. So where that leaves Sean O'Brien in light for Ireland, where does it leave him for the rest of the season? Where does it leave him in with the with the Australian tour? Um is he I think he's just another member of a competitive squad now. I don't think he's inked onto the team sheet at all. But but he's but he's capable of he's capable of yeah, starting. I I absolutely um like you know, it wasn't too long ago that he was Playing in uh, in New Zealand, and he was he was really pretty special playing for the Lions. But you know, since then he's played something like four and a half games in nine months for Leinster, and three games in the same period for Ireland. It's very sad to see him get a bang in the shoulder and and come off. You know, twenty three minutes into his first game back for three months, but um, it's part of a really 
unfortunate trend in that he's picking up a shed load of injuries. Sean O'Brien is. And you, like his his like the time the time doesn't stop, you know, he the time doesn't stop from the injuries are are eating out of his career, like. Yeah, so I suppose if you're Sean O'Brien but certainly I, I look at Sean O'Brien and he must be worried now that Van der Fleer and Levy are there and they're ahead of him and that Jordy Murphy's going to move up to Ulster and start a lot of matches and be very versatile across the back line. And then that's apart from, well, sorry, I mentioned Levy, but like, I mean, the, the three guys who are starting now are, are challenging for a Grand Slam place. So I think like if you're Sean O'Brien, you have to look at the World Cup in 2019 being your ultimate objective and everything else falling. So whatever you have to do is it play loads for Leinster yeah, is it, is it nail down a position? Is it play across the back row and show that you're like you're now like a versatile squad player that can that uh, you'll start, but the fact that you can play number eight allows you allows the coach to pick somebody else, um, because it just it moves really really yeah, quickly. It does move quickly, and it's moving quickly around him when he's he's stuck either injured or rehabbing things, um, and as you say, okay. He, how does he, uh, how does he get back into contention if he, he can't play or he doesn't play? You know, it's not there for him. Um, in terms of selection, um, moving away from that discussion of Sean O'Brien, you seem quite sure that we won't make any any major changes at all. Uh, do you think he'll retain Larmer? I think he would because it's like it's a bit of a that's a total wild card to play. Um, if we need some piece of magic, I hope he does. I I think he will. Yeah, I don't see why. Like we can't. We have nothing to lose now. Mm. Like, like there's there's the the bench functioned so well. I know Larmer didn't actually touch the ball. I don't think, but the rest of the bench functioned really well when they came on. Uh, and they came on for for players who had played well, um, so I don't I don't see why you you change for for change's sake. And say say we're six points down, gone into the last few plays of the game. Like it, it doesn't matter shit if we lose. Yeah. Uh, but he can score from sixty meters. Yeah. So yeah, court like yeah, great. I mean, if if Schmidt is willing to take the risk of having Larmer play seventy five minutes. At, at fullback, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, which is you know he's 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 not a commanding player in in the manner of Brown or Halfpenny or Rob Carney who are all really really experienced and who who naturally play that game. Um, then great, yeah. I mean, let him let him get that experience. I think I think it's uh, it. I feel that I felt a real sort of uh, I don't know a buzz or a nervousness about the the two thousand and nine Grand Slam that that team. This was their best opportunity. Mm. Like that they'd 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 got those wins and they'd managed to put it all together and they'd sort of they ground the way Ireland have ground like people would criticize Ireland for grinding the way through, but Ireland have comfortably won bar the France match, the yeah. miracle drop goal. They've comfortably won the other three. Yeah. Absolutely. They've scored a bundle of tries. Like your bonus point in the side who are fifth in the world, bonus point in the side who are seventh in the world. And you know, bonus point in Italy is no great shakes but uh i think i think people who are criticizing the style of of play for being boring i have 
just have no truck with that whatsoever. I have no truck with it. I kind of feel there's more um, a sense that this team doesn't represent all our hopes and dreams in the way that the 2009 team does. There was a whole decade playing, really. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's well put. I think that's very fair. And this is simply... People uh, think there's more to come, maybe, from this team rather yeah. than the culmination of something. And that it's just another game. Like, Schmidt, this this is, after five years, this is a Joe Schmidt team. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's two guys. There's Best and Carney who are th- carry over from t- the 2009 team. There's you know Keen Healy and there's a few more guys. I think Hendy was was ca- capped by kidney, but there's there's a few Earls as well. Earls, yeah. So, but this sort of one game at a time, process, process, process. Everybody do their jobs uh, and like look where they're at. Is it's 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 Joe Schmidt's team every which way you look at it. Let's have a let's have a think about um, what went right uh, in the Scotland game, um, and how 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 good you think Scotland were. Like a lot of the sort of narrative that came out of the, after the game was that they um, butchered chances, and that would have ma- made for a very difficult game. And it sort of felt quite tense, even though we won the game by twenty points and had four tries after yeah, they, sixty-five they, minutes. They did butcher chances. Uh, but butchering chances because your skill levels aren't good enough is butchering chances. We talked about the previous week about what happens when risky things come off and what happens when they don't come off. Like Stuart Horns uh, intercepted Jacob Stockdale was even more telegraphed than, than Gareth Anscombe's intercept. Peter Horn. Peter Horn, sorry. Um, bubble. <laughs> Peter Horn's intercept to Jacob Stockdale was even more telegraphed than Anscombe's had been. Uh, Stockdale was sitting there waiting for it. He didn't even have to run onto it this time. That, that, pain, that pass was, wasn't landing anywhere except his hands. No. Um, Hugh Jones, like Sexton, gave him an extra second to think about it and he threw a shocking pass. Really, really appalling pass. I heard Kevin McLaughlin and James Downey talk about it uh, using the phrase of passing centre, that he wasn't a passing centre. And, and on the Hard Yards podcast, Nandy McGeady called him up and says, you don't need to be a passing centre to throw that pass. And I absolutely agree with that. That was just a tragic effort of a pass from a good player. Um, and again, Peter Horns, the skip that he threw past uh, Blair Kinghorn's hands, almost directly into touch. If Kinghorn might have got a, a finger on it, when he could have just given a simple pass to Hugh Jones, who was steaming up on the outside of him. So they did make mistakes. But that's part of rugby. You make mistakes in rugby. You know, if you, like, the All Blacks make the fewest mistakes, they're the best team. Ireland make very few mistakes. So we're, you know, according to the world rugby rankings, we're the second best team. Uh, so mistakes are part of rugby. And eliminating mistakes, and minimizing mistakes, and mitigating their bad effects is part of good rugby. Yeah, a wise man made the point to me before the Scotland match that they probably played their big match two weeks ago and it was that contrast with Wales that sort of I approached the match with that, so as we commented before, when, when Wales beat England, uh, you backed them for the Grand Slam and they, they just get better and they get more, all that confidence that they take from us. Whereas when Scotland beat England, it's kind of like job done. Uh, you know, doesn't really matter what happens in the rest, <laughs> we've, we've beaten England. And... I felt that Ireland were just more prepared to win. That said, 
I thought that the Scottish tactical approach in the first half was very good. Mm. I thought that they pinned us into our own half. They didn't give us any line outs. They kicked everything long. Um, they again used that diagonal kick, the play going one way. And I think it was, was I can't remember if it was Russell or Hogg kicking down towards the southwest corner of the ground. I thought it was Russell kicking it, although looking at it, it might have been Hogg. It was Hogg and Horn. I thought it was Russell at the time. Well. Yeah. And. Uh, we got maybe a bit lucky with Earl's knocking a ball into touch and we got the line out, but that would sort of play off against the knock-on. That's sort of a swings and roundabouts type of thing. But I thought I thought in the first half, Scotland were very astute. I thought that they played a sort of in the second 20 minutes, I thought they played a, a Vern Cotter style of game and that very similar to what Schmidt plays, uh, narrow, attritional, getting a lot of guys on the ball, resourcing rooks really, really quickly. Except that, Allied to that, they took quick lineouts. Uh, they took lineouts like where everything was set, and they just bombed the ball in. They didn't. They didn't have a little chat about it. They played a very high pace of game. Like we were sitting, we're sitting in the lower tier, and we're quite near the front. So it you see different things depending on when your vantage point at the match. And the thing that we both noticed was how knackered Ireland yeah, looked to be. Yeah, thirty-five minutes with in, about five minutes to go in the first half, and I thought that was a deliberate attempt by Scotland to just raise the pace of the game. The difference between Ireland and Scotland is Ireland expect to win. And given a sniff, and we, we were laughing at halftime, going, oh, Matty Williams is going to be banging out the championship minutes piece. <laughs> so I, I didn't watch, I didn't, but I'm sure he was. I don't know. Uh, but you can't begrudge him. It. Like, it, it came out completely true, and it was, it was exactly the same as the Welsh match. Like, we scored an injury time in the first half, and it was a great... Uh, the detail of that move, uh, again, Murray Kinsler spelled out in an article, uh, is pretty phenomenal to do all the things right that you need to do to basically walk over in the corner in injury time where if you knock it on, it's half time. You don't yeah. get any points. You don't get any territory. It's over. Oh, it was so, it was so slick. We, you know, fairly, uh, as you say, we fairly, like Stockdale fairly walked that in, you know, Given the ball, Ringrose could, Ring could have Ring scored. Ringrose could, could, could have scored. Killian de Gaskin. We were playing there three. We were, you know, as as Murray says, like the, the the culmination of that move was them having their three uh, front row players on the blind side and us running Ringrose at them. And once it gets to that, uh, as I said, like Ringrose could have scored and Stockdale just skinned. Uh, King was a Kinghorn. Kinghorn his, just his stepped him. Yeah, just, yeah, stepped, just stepped him and just left him. He, he didn't get touched. And uh, that that was that was really game over at that stage. It, it, you couldn't see Ireland give up, but then Ireland went out again at the beginning of the second half and started off with a, a hiss and a roar and and just put put the game out of reach. And, and Conor Murray just put a couple of players into the meat grinder this time, just <laughs> muscled through Hamish Watson, which I didn't expect to see. I know Watson had come around from the from the blind side of rock to affect a tackle after Finn Russell had fallen off, but. Murray really did muscle through him. Bundy came in and hit them, but Murray was winning that contact anyway. He really just went through. Yeah, Murray's in that Vodafone ad. It's just when you're watching the the, the Tyke Furlong one, every time he tackles the the, the tractor tire tube, going yeah. down the hill, I just start going, get your head on the your head's on the wrong side. Tyke, like you do yourself an injury. I can't I can't stop myself doing it. I don't I just wish they choreographed that tackling scene better. But uh not just just Ireland's expectation and the whole, the whole sh- Schmittian. What, what's the correct adjective for a Joe Schmidt style of play? Like it was, it was so. It 
it was just so determined. And then we unloaded the bench and just kept the pace on the Scots yeah. and didn't let them in at 28-8. And there was a part of me, having predicted 29-16, that sort of wanted Scotland to score. So we'd win 28-15. And I could actually point to a prediction that was that was almost correct. But <laughs> that is not that is not what this podcast no. is all Modus about. Operandi. No. Um, so it was a very comprehensive win, really. And Scotland, Scotland were good. I think it's been a good Six Nations. Yeah, it's been the, competitive. It has been competitive. You only have to look down the the table. You know that there's England, France, Scotland, uh, Wales, and Wales, Wales are all on on two wins each. All beating each other. Um, They're all on two home wins, are they? Or are they all some away wins against Italy? England beat Italy away. Yeah, that's right. Um, so I think that going into the going into the Super Saturday um, we can expect an extremely fired up English performance but Ireland are, are well pitched to take them on in the physical stakes because where England typically excel physically is in their tight five uh, they don't have Billy Von Apollo to get them out of trouble this time around and I think our tight five can match them man for man and I think it's the same thing I think our bench is, is better than their bench in their in our tight five bench our front row and second row so I think that it could be providing the snow holds off it could be Ireland 22 England 16 I have uh, thought throughout the whole tournament that we would win it um, and by winning the first four games and not winning in England, I didn't actually think we'd win it on the fourth uh, uh, round of matches. But um, yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of fearful. I just think that going to Twickenham is going to be super tough, and I just feel like England will will. I don't know. Well, the, the, their muscles will feel big again, and <laughs> they'll start pushing us around a bit. Um, but I think it'll be very, very tight. Like, I don't know. Every time I predict Ireland to score one try, they score four. So it's grand. It'll be like sixteen, twelve or something. Yeah, I think I think Ireland. Who do you think sixteen, twelve to, to England? To England. I think it'll be twenty points to eighteen to Ireland. Uh, but I don't actually think it'll be as close as the score suggests. Um. I think I just think we'd be better throughout, but they're obviously very strong at home, so they pick up points and they've mm. got pace, so they they pick up points uh, throughout. But uh, I think we're better than them, though. Yeah, we're better. I think yeah, we're just we're a more winningy team. What do you think about France playing uh, Wales in Wales? Well, should win that. They haven't, so? they haven't picked teams yet. So, no, I know that's that's uh, true. Where, but yeah, Wales, Wales should win at home. Okay, by much. Um, they pick George North, yeah, I think they should win, like, I don't know, 27-15 or something like that. Okay, what do you think? I I just think home wins are the order of the day. I mean, yeah. that's pretty boring, but um, Wales will be gunning for revenge. I didn't see any of the Italy match, really, so I couldn't really tell how they played in that one. But, um, it yeah, was I, I, I think... Uh, I don't know, I, I sort of feel... I, I thought the French were a much bigger mess than they were... Um, because I wasn't particularly impressed by how they beat Italy. 
Uh, I don't think they'll travel particularly well. Do you think they'll have gone out in a lash after beating England? Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, right, it just struck me there. I, I think I, they will as well. I, I think and the nature of their league uh, with the... <laughs> probably bad playing a game tomorrow the, night. Uh, was it the esprit de cloche? That's right, yeah. Yeah, I, I think they won't travel well. I think Wales will beat them. Wales will... Yeah, Wales will need need a win as well. I think if Wales lost three, just like if England lost three, it would look really bad for them. Yeah. I'll have to put some numbers I, on I, it. I, I always... It'll I, be a high-scoring game. Yeah, uh, I always 31, go... 31-26. That'll be a good game. I'm always, I always go with the general consensus. But in this one, I, I think that France... I think that... that there's not much of a gap between France and Wales at the moment. Um, and I'm looking forward to this game, I have to say. Uh, it could be a stinker. There's been some poor France. That one where uh, George North scored and his dad jumped on the pitch, that was one of the worst rugby games I've ever seen. Do you remember that? When was that? Uh, 2014 or something like that? can't quite remember. But oh, I think, so what do you think? you think France will win? I think France could win. I think they could win like 21-20 or 21-19. Is well, we've buried the lead long enough, lads. It's time to start talking about Scotland versus Italy. 